0: Thursday, finance and Brett Hall. Um, Yes, we know that there's certainly a lot of wet around in Queensland and there's a little bit of wet here. Is that going to affect our finances, our financial position?
1: (laughs) Um, Probably not only individually. I think, um, you know, while it's unfortunate that that we have that cyclone up in Queensland at the moment, um, there are, you know, hopefully most are insured and, um, and, you know, it will pass and, and things will return to normal at some point. And, um, yeah, we'll have a quick chat to Henry a bit later on about the impact on the insurers, if any. So Yeah, that's
0: a good idea too. Mm. And you were saying that uh, some coal production has been suspended in Queensland. Yeah,
1: that's right. Yeah, so um, BHP and uh, Glencore have, have said today that they've uh, halted production on uh, some of their mines in Queensland, but at this stage they, they don't expect that that will impact them on their uh, annual forecast, so... And
0: probably won't impact us here in the Hunter as coal producers either. That's right. Because they're different types of coal. Coal. Okay. All right. Well, relax.
1: (laughs) Should we get on to commodities? Let's see what's happening there. Very good. So, uh, yeah, commodities were were flat across the week. Um, Not too much change in gold, copper, uh, nickel and tin. Um, So gold this week uh, is pretty flat, as I said, last week. um, It was 1,626. Today, 1,631. So the currencies also, um, across all the major currencies flat again on the week. Um, the major ones being the US dollar. Um, one Australian dollar buys you 76, um, US dollars and, uh, the pound, um, 61. So the others are all, all flat on last week. And then the indices. So the Australian market, um, is, is up on last week. So it's up almost 3%. And then today, um, where uh, we're pretty flat on, on yesterday, so the market hasn't done much this morning at this stage. So uh, the um, all, all Ordinaries Index is at 5,926.
0: Well, this is an improvement on a couple of weeks ago.
1: Yeah, that's right. It's, um, it's getting up there again. It's almost back at uh, 6,000. Um, we've, we've hedged up there, and uh, you know it's been, I think, since about 2008 since it got to, um, to 6,000, so hopefully we might see it there again soon.
0: Mm, fingers crossed on that. Um, well, the other for those of us with shares,
1: yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yes. Well, I mean, most of our uh, us have super duration, um, yes, yes. and you know, most of our funds have have equities exposure. So, yeah, it is good for us all. It is good. Um, so, um, yeah, the other international markets um, are flat, um, and yeah, not too much change on on last week. So then, some of the uh, major stocks. So, BHP um, is it twenty four dollars, um, twenty six today. The Commonwealth Bank. So the banks are actually um, Done well um, over uh, on over the last week. So the Commonwealth Bank's actually up four percent. Um it's eighty-six dollars twenty-nine. Um Newcastle uh, sorry the sorry NIB um is at five dollars eighty-two, which is up three point seven percent on last week. And um yeah, so then fuel. Um unleaded uh Newcastle is a dollar fourteen and a dollar eleven in Sydney, and they're pretty much the same as last week, as is diesel. At a dollar fifteen in Newcastle and a dollar twenty one in Sydney.
0: So the fact that fuel prices are down a little bit does that mean that we haven't got a long weekend immediately in front <laughs> of us, or does it mean that the oil price is generally making things easier for us? Uh,
1: no. That, the, the oil price is actually um, up a little bit on on last week. So um, just looking at fuel prices, yeah, they're actually down. I mean, flat across the last couple of weeks. But um, you know, going back just over a month, or a dollar for um, for diesel was a dollar thirty four. So
0: mm. yeah. Time for our market update with Henry Jennings. So, so to you, Brett Hall.
1: Yeah. Hi, Henry. Um, Hi. Thanks, thanks for uh, joining us again this week. Always a pleasure, Brett. Great. And uh, so, yeah, um, we are talking a bit earlier on about the, uh, the uh, cyclone up in Queensland, and uh, I note that Suncorp's uh, share price hasn't really been affected. Um, no. So, uh, do you, would you expect any change, considering that they might have some claims?
2: Well, yeah, they will have some claims. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> the, uh, the company has uh, kind of laid out um, um, the, um, the fact that um, they're pretty much protected um, from reinsurance plans through mm. uh, through claims up there So it actually, um, you know, it's, I think the market's seeing it as a little bit of a positive in some ways mm. um, You know, Suncorp will be on the ground, they'll be talking to people They won't have any exposure because they have got reinsurance cover uh, through the worldwide um, uh, reinsurance stuff, mm-hmm. um, and um, it will give them a chance to contact and and be you know, seen out the, out and about doing the right thing. So yep. that's probably a good thing. Yeah, great. Yeah.
1: All right. So uh, the bank stocks um, this week have uh, been hot and and uh, oh, are up. They. Yeah. So yes. they put their rates up um, last week, and um, obviously the, the market has uh, reacted positively to to that.
2: And yeah. Um, I guess it just shows the pricing power that the, the banks have got, even though the RBA dithers and messes around and you mm-hmm. uh, know is on hold forever. Probably um, the, the banks themselves, who live in the real world and are basing their funding costs on on real world funding, uh, either overseas or from domestic yeah. um, pressures, have put their rates up, as you rightly say. Well, it is a good thing, um, and I'm sure the RBA will be quietly quite chuffed. Um, they would like to see housing prices come off the boil mm-hmm. and certainly putting rates up does take a little bit of a, a heat I guess out of the housing market as well but it does it does show that that pricing power especially of the big four mm. uh, which has been seen as a positive just just for some interest uh, we're coming up to the end of the March quarter now National Bank is, is up around 8% for the quarter mm. Mm. ANZ is up around 6% Westpac up around 8% CBA is up around 4.5% Mm-hmm. So it um, kind of shows you the, the disparity there in the performance of the banking sector
1: Yep. So I don't think that rate rise at this stage has, has probably affected the, uh, the property market what, what sort of increase do you think would be needed uh, in rates to sort of see a change in the, the property market?
2: You see, the, the property market's a strange thing, Brett You know, it's, it's made up of thousands and hundreds of thousands of houses all around Australia and all we see is these headlines which a lot mm-hmm. of people Mm-hmm. bonanza stuff. Now, I went to an auction the other day around where I live, which is on the northern beaches. Mm-hmm. There were three bidders, and trying to get a bid out of any of those three was like pulling teeth. Mm-hmm. Um, there was certainly no sign of a property bubble um, on the northern beaches of Sydney, yep. um, but if you probably went to the same auction in inner city with transport and uh, access to uh, universities, yep. um, that three would turn into... Mm. and some of these medicinal cannabis stocks, some of them have been yep. up by 3,000% <laughs> in a day. Oh, yeah, that's right. Um, yet, you know, you've got things like Telstra, which every day go down. Yeah. So, you know, it, it's, 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 it's like a stock yep. market. It's made up of an awful lot of different moving parts. So, yeah. you know, we look at the generalisation of this property boom and bursting the property bubble, but, you know, depending on where you live, if you lived in Perth, yep. I'm sure you'd be looking at the East Coast and going, yep, yeah, you know what, we don't have much of a property bubble
0: Yes. Yeah. Yep.
2: Um, it is very confined to certain parts and certain areas, which are running hot, mm. much like you we see in the stock market,
1: and, and even probably even within those pockets at different price ranges as well. Um, yeah, very much. You so. know that, that even within a particular suburb or a particular area, that um, yep. it could be a bubble in, certain, in maybe potentially the higher price range than than the bottom, the lower price range. So.
2: And, and the other thing that these figures don't take into account is is renovations. Yep know I, I saw recently in, in the fairfax press which loves pushing the property market because they own domain and they want that mm-hmm. to attract more business mm-hmm. um you know you're seeing houses that um were sold five years ago for 3.8 million going for five million now yep. they probably spent four or five hundred grand in the meantime yep on renovations on that house yep. so they're in for 4.3 all the costs and then you know over five years really you've mm-hmm. made you know three or four hundred thousand dollars that's that's hardly a bubble so it is very uh, well stock specific I guess in terms of uh, you know where your house is and all that sort of stuff. But renovations, you know, if you if you buy a house for five hundred thousand and it sells for a million bucks, that, that looks fantastic but that doesn't tell the whole story. You may have put four hundred grand into kitchens bathrooms and yep. garages and what have you um, just to, uh, just to get that right.
1: yep I, I, read, a, I read a story um, also in the I think it was the Australian uh, a few weeks ago talking about um, you know the impact of immigration on property prices, which isn't something that 's often talked about, and that well, obviously adds to the demand which is obviously fueling that as well
2: well it does and it does add to the demand for inner city oh. um, as well. I know that as i 'm an immigrant, I came to this country um, as an immigrant and i, mm. I I left uh, the UK and emigrated to Australia, and I know that when I first came here, all I wanted to do was live in the inner city and, and live near the harbour. Yep. And as I grew older and fatter and, and stupider and, and had children and dogs and things, um, I sort of moved further and further away yep. um, from there. So, you know, it's kind of this, um, this, this always this churning over, people moving out, people moving in. Um, and there is high demand, certainly, for inner-city stuff because that's where the yeah. jobs are. No one wants to uh, commute an hour and a half for each way if they can help
1: it. Yeah, that's right. Yes, Henry, so as we touched on just a few minutes ago, uh, TPG looking at possibly taking over Fairfax Media.
2: Yes, I mean, this, this is one that I've long been um, trumpeting, I guess, in, in some ways, that the value of Fairfax, um, the domain business is far higher than the market has been giving it credit for. Mm-hmm. Um, it seems that uh, TPG Capital, which is a private equity firm, is looking at um, Fairfax as a takeover target. Mm-hmm. I guess the catalyst for this has been the uh, announcement by Fairfax a month or so ago that they're going to be splitting off the domain business, um, although they were hoping to retain 60 to 70 percent mm-hmm. of the company and float the rest off of this will give us sort of a see-through valuation to, uh, to the rest of Fairfax, I guess. Yeah. Um, but it looks like um, the private equity guys may spoil their party and they're looking to take over the whole thing mm. um, and then sell off the bits they don't want, which is pretty much the print and uh, some of the regional assets. Yep. Um, so it remains to be seen what happens, but the share price has been doing very well. I wrote in a newsletter uh, back in the middle of February when they were around $0.87 cents, that you mm. know, this, this one stood out like the digital store, sore thumb, as I called it. <laughs> um, and you know, it's, it, I, I've no doubt that the digital assets of Fairfax Mm-hmm. Um, under um, under sort of a private ownership, yep. or, or different ownership structure than a, than a group that is uh, having to balance uh, competing interests with press and mm-hmm. radio and regional investments. So,
1: mm-hmm. uh, be interesting. We'll see what happens. Yeah, see what happens. And uh, so Solomon um uh, has <laughs> recently taken a large stake, or, or almost eleven percent stake in Maya, for yeah. just over hundred million in the last week. Um, yeah, it's
2: a bit. We're, we're, sort of going back to the 80s in the last few weeks we're seeing now the markets nudging up towards 5900 we got very close mm-hmm. there and we've seen a lot of corporate activity which we haven't seen for a long time and there are a number of stocks that are in the, the spotlight we've talked just a minute ago about fairfax mm-hmm. um ardent leisure is another one where some mm-hmm. corporate raiders are, are looking quite interested and uh and solomon lou um has uh, as you rightly say taken a, a just over 10 percent interest in Maya, which is again is another sort of hark back to uh, the 80s and 90s when Solomon Liu mm. was, uh, was involved uh, far more in Meyer. Um, he's done that through his company, Premier Investments, which um, is the people behind Smiggle and Peter Alexander and the pyjamas and that sort of stuff. And Smiggle's been a huge success story. Mm. Um, he has said he's a, he's a very patient man, so he has said that he has no immediate plans to make a bid for the whole group, but you, you know he's got a long and checkered history with, uh, with Meyer, um, he was kind of unceremoniously kicked out of um, the uh, the company um, back in uh, about 15 years ago mm-hmm. um, and I'm sure um, he, you know he's the best retailer in the country with uh, Mark McGuinness beside yeah. him who used to be with David Jones
0: mm-hmm.
2: um, who runs Premier and I'm sure that he would love to sort of uh, crown his career um, by getting Meyer back under his control um, sorting it out and getting it back on track so that, that one's a, um, certainly, uh, bubbling around at the moment as well. So takeovers back in fashion on the exchange.
1: Yeah, that's right. And, um, and lastly, um, so the, so Kerry Mather, the CEO of Sydney Airports has, um, has retired. Yeah. Uh, but not going anywhere urgently. He's going to hang around right. a lot till they find a, a replacement. So, but, um, has also said that, uh, at this stage, the, the company doesn't expect to change its view on, on the, um, second airport.
2: Yeah, this, this is another one. Kerry's been there for uh, for 15 years. She's done a fantastic job. Um, she's an ex-Macquarie Bank infrastructure specialist that uh, took the role when, so when Macquarie Bank bought the airport. Um, the, uh, the company has a deadline of around, I think it's May the 8th um, to decide on whether to take up their first rider refusal to build the Badgerys Creek Airport. Now it's certainly Kerry has been quite vocal uh, in suggesting that um, it's really not in the company's interest to do this um, and that it would take some years to get the return on investment required from this big investment. And as you and I and probably all your listeners know, if, you, if you're building something um, and the government knows only too well, the, the cost and the estimates, the cost, tend to double. Mm-hmm. And the mm-hmm. time it takes tends to double. Yeah. Um, you know, Macquarie Bank and the Sydney Airport people have no <laughs> um, but they, um, they certainly haven't got any experience in building an airport that was built for them they just took over the running of it and then yeah. added the wonderful car park money stream um, so um, so yeah it looks like um, there's some it's just curious timing because of this, uh, this
1: Yeah, that's right. All right, Henry, thank you very much, as always. My pleasure, pleasure, Brett. Have you on board.
0: And uh, Detective Chief Inspector Matt Craft from the New South Wales Police Fraud and Cybercrime Squad is joining us today, Brett
1: Hall. Yes. um, Hi, uh, Matt, how are you? Good afternoon. Thanks for having me. Yeah, and thanks for joining us. Um, So, yeah, so if you could perhaps uh, maybe start off with um, giving uh, us and the listeners a bit of an update on on what you're seeing uh, most common at the moment in in, in regards to uh, online fraud and, and cybercrime?
3: Sure. Look, it changes in terms of what we see uh, for trends and things like that. But I think currently, what we're seeing is an, a large number of people really transacting outside of the terms and conditions associated with that particular site. So therefore, um, you, you know, if you follow the rules with those particular online marketplaces, whether it be eBay or Gumtree. Mm-hmm. Um, and you, uh, you know, transact in the manner that they say, you, you are relatively safe. Where people have uh, problems, uh, and mm-hmm. this is where we see it the most, is that uh, they'll see something online, uh, they'll, they'll want to purchase it, uh, and they're the successful bidder, for, for instance, and yet uh, the, the person selling it says, "Look, here's my account details. Um, deposit the money directly into my um, uh, into my bank account." Um, and unfortunately, then what we commonly see is that uh, those items just don't exist, and you never hear from that person again, and they have your, have your money, because yep. um, once you hit enter on the computer and use you, you know electronically transfer your funds, mm-hmm. um, it's very difficult to get them back. So we just need to remind people that you know make sure you follow the terms and conditions of the uh, particular marketplace you're using. It, that that's probably one of the key things.
2: Yeah, yeah.
1: So if when 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 that happens, what, uh, what what's the the best thing that um, that people can do
3: look it is a fraud it's a criminal offense so uh, yep. it needs to be reported to the police mm-hmm. uh, and you can do that in a number of ways you can either go on to the uh, acorn website the australian Cybercrime online reporting network net you can do that from your lounge room mm-hmm. um or you can attend your local police station because inevitably the police are going to need to obtain a statement from you mm-hmm. um, and uh, see whether there's a possibility of a prosecution being launched. Yep. Um, but certainly, you know, I would encourage people to report it. You know, you're not using either of those methods.
1: Yeah. Yep. So um, by reporting it, does that then create any action to be taken? I mean, obviously, there's probably thousands of these happening um, every week. Um I imagine your resources are, are, are limited. So, you know, let's say I, I bought an iPhone example through one of the websites, and I, I paid for it in the manner that you um, described. Uh, is I go and report it through either Acorn the, uh, website or my local police station? Then, what happens from there? Um, is there any investigations done? I or
3: absolutely. Look, yeah. the, the matter's triaged. Um, So we look at it, look at what investigative leads are available, Mm -hmm. uh, and then proceed from there. So, for instance, where money has gone from one account into another there's an investigative avenue there, and we Mm -hmm. will explore that. Um, This is just like any other crime, although, as you say, we do have limited resources and we can't follow up every matter, but if they're taken on their merits, if there's investigative uh, avenues that we can follow, Mm -hmm. um, we'll take action. And if there's, uh, at the end of it, once we complete our investigation, if it's appropriate, we'll put the person before the courts.
1: Yep, okay. So then, um, obviously, um, you know, I think we all get emails regularly um, from... uh, I guess fraudsters or, or or people attempting to get personal information. Um, how how do we um, identify those? Um, obviously, if we're suspicious, we we obviously then use caution. Um, is there any database or is there any website that we can look at to say you know is could this be uh, a fraudulent activity? And, and then also should that be reported?
3: Look, there are websites, so the Scam Watch and even the New South Wales Police. Uh, Fraud and Crimes Squad have a Facebook page where if we immediately, as as soon as we see that something's trending in a particular way, we'll put it up there and uh, put a warning out there. Mm -hmm. But look, I have to concede, some of these email scams are very good. Mm -hmm. Um, They purport to be uh, from a legitimate business. Um, The branding is all there. They look the same. It's those tiny Uh, features within the email that you really need to pay close attention to to identify that it's fraud. But essentially, we just need to apply some common sense. If if you bank with a particular institution, Mm -hmm. they will not contact you via email wanting your personal information. Mm -hmm. They just don't do that. And they don't do that for a number of reasons. So we need to apply some common sense. But more importantly, we shouldn't, as a general rule, if you don't know somebody, don't go sending out your personal details. if so to somebody that you don't know and you can't identify, it's mm-hmm. just a risky thing. So, yep. you know, using those common common sense rules that you know, your, banks or, or good reputable organisations won't transact in that way. They won't be asking you for that information. And if you're suspicious, don't answer it. Go into your bank or, or contact that uh, that institution directly yourself.
1: Yeah, so that's that's probably a really good point. So, don't don't actually use that email as the the source or the uh, the link to uh, to supply the information go separately to the the website direct and or contact them via telephone.
3: Exactly, and if you're highly suspicious, take the time to walk into the branch and 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 they can then identify who you are and, and you can talk to them face to face and try yeah. and sort it out. But generally, all those things are scams, and it's based on numbers. They're sent out on mass. I'm um, just hoping that they'll get a few people that will uh, click on the email and uh, provide personal particulars.
0: And we are speaking at the moment, Brett Hall, with Detective Chief Inspector Matt Craft, and it's all about cybercrime and fraud generally, I think.
1: Yeah, that's right. So, um, so Matthew, yeah, we, we spoke earlier, um, obviously about, uh, identity theft, um, uh, is also an issue. And, um, so there's some other, um, issues that you see um, in in your job, um, and that's uh, mail theft. So, you know, stepping away from from the internet and and, and email that the old old traditional mail is also something we need to be careful of.
3: Sure. Look, and I think it comes down to um, the general community needs to understand that their date of birth and their address and their name... Has value to criminal organisations. Um, yeah. it, it can be converted into into money, um, and it can be misused. So, mm-hmm. and one of the ways that we see where this data is captured and collated is via mail theft. Um, admittedly, it's more in, in Sydney, the metropolitan area, and that's just where there's uh, blocks of high density units. Mm-hmm. That have a large number of mailboxes out the front that allows them to steal mail more readily. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it is something that's trending up, and that we're you know we're very conscious of of mail theft as a source of identity crime, because it does allow somebody to take over your identity if they can get sufficient information um, about you. You know whether that be your phone bill, your electricity bill, your driver's license. All of those things can contribute to help build up a picture of who you are. Yep. So, uh, you know, it's, it's one of those things we, we encourage you to, to lock your mailbox, to have it, to remove your mail all the time. If you're going away, have you, a trusted neighbour remove it for you. And if you're expecting a a, a new key card um, or a driver's licence, make sure you're on top of it. You're checking your mail every day.
1: Yeah. So when someone has uh, another's identity, what what sort of things? Do they open a bank account or do they, you know, open credit cards? Do so they get access to money? Is that is that sort of thing that they do when, when, when someone takes another person's identity, you know, or able to access their personal details. Um, is that the sort of thing that they, they use it for?
3: Look, identity crime is an enabler for a number of serious crimes, other crimes. Mm-hmm. But generally what we see um, is it's always about a financial gain. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, by and large, it's about a financial gain. So mm-hmm. they can, if they can take, somebody can take over your identity, for instance, they can then go and, you know, change the details on your bank account you mm-hmm. know change the internet password they can go and t- take out credit cards in your in your name take mm-hmm. out personal loans yep. um you know rent vehicles they can do a lot of damage and that's mm-hmm. why um you know and, and that damage is not only financial it's the emotional toll that that has because yep. you're left to pick up the pieces yep. all of a sudden 3 months later you're receiving bills yep. in your mail for, for Thousands and thousands of dollars yep. for items or services you have no knowledge
1: get of. Off. Yeah, and then the time that it would take, because obviously that could end up on your credit file, um, and then you know there's a, there's a, probably a very lengthy process to get that removed from your credit file, which affects your own personal um, ability to access finance in the future.
2: And
3: look, absolutely, it takes it, the, the stats tell us it takes about eighteen hours um, for a victim of an identity theft to actually get it all back and. and you know, mm. talk to the banks and, and get it back. But it costs the Australian community $2.2 billion per year identity crime. It's massive. It's a significant mm. issue. Mm-hmm. And it's one of those modern crime types that we see in 2017. People are moving away from your traditional break and steal and steel and steel motor vehicles, and they're moving more into fraud and identity crime.
1: Yeah, right. And so a lot of these um, online uh, fraud fraudsters, I guess we call them, uh, are they... Um, domestic or are they international or a combination of both
3: look it 's a combination of both, um, particularly with some of the online stuff It, it does originate from overseas, um, but uh, you know the, the interesting thing about this crime type is that it has no borders. you can easily commit fraud um, sitting on a beach in Western Australia as you can in the CBD of Sydney, mm-hmm. so you know we but that doesn't deter the New South Wales Police from following it up. Yep. If we need to, we have relationships internationally as well. If we need information, we make those, those applications and we get that cooperation because I mm-hmm. think there's an understanding from law enforcement now that this crime type is borderless and we all need to work together to you know, achieve a, a result in the end.
1: Yep, yep. All right, Matt, we, we really appreciate your time today. And just perhaps quickly before we go, you mentioned you have uh, a, a Facebook page for where people can gather information. Um, there's the Acorn website and then um, there's there's ASIC as well which people can, can gain information from 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 those three uh, locations would be would be best. Um, Absolutely. Yep. Okay. Well thank you very much. Pleasure. Thank you.
0: And Matt Craft from the New South Wales Fraud and Cybercrime Squad. And that is a First Finance for today. Thank you, Brett Hall. Thank you, Jane. And we'll be back on podcast on 2 com. You can always catch it there. And uh, also, of course, you can, um, well, <laughs> see what else we're doing. Coming up after the news is um, is Business, the Law and You with Julian Campbell. And uh, as I say, we will look forward to, um, to finding out a bit more about the world of business. And, uh, Brett, just before we go... Good to see you again. Oh, thank you. And Nice to know that you're working with Stephen Pritchard and we get the benefit of your knowledge too. That's Thursday Finance for today. 2NURFM.
2: Thanks for listening to this podcast from 2NURFM at the University of Newcastle. Topics range from gardening to health, well-being, pet care, finance, business and travel. You'll find them all at 2NURFM.com.